Isn't it amazing? We have 8 billion people on this planet, and out of billions of people, we have more in common with one another because of the blood of Jesus Christ. I don't attend this church, but we worship the same God, right? You know, two months ago, I had the chance to visit this church for the first time, spoke about my work with uh, the refugees here in Amarillo, with some of your leaders, and I just watched their eyes as they ministered to me with wisdom, with these questions of discernment, with love, and then they laid hands on me and prayed over me. And that day, as your pastor walked me out into the parking lot, I just felt this bond with you in the Lord. So many of you I don't know, but I just know we are one in Christ. So I'm grateful to be with you this morning, to talk about my passion, to talk about refugees. You know, over the last two weeks, you've heard from two other missionaries, right? Andy Johnson talked about his work in the Mediterranean among Muslim refugees even. And last week, my friend Milton Jones spoke about Christian Relief Fund's work uh, in Africa and even more recently in the Ukraine. And this morning, we're going to travel all the way back to Amarillo, Texas. And my goal this morning is to unfold for you a testimony, a testimony of my own heart, of what it has looked like for a broken, insecure, anxious linguist who would prefer to be sitting at a desk hiding somewhere, okay? What it looks like for that man to be standing up here working with refugees in a leadership role. It shouldn't be except by the blood of Christ. So this morning, I have three questions for you, and we're going to revisit these questions over and over. Number one, how are you blessed? As you're listening to me, I want you to reflect this question back to your own heart. God, how am I blessed? What gifts do I have? Number two, how can I be a blessing? How do my gifts and experiences, Lord, connect with the world that's around me, the broken and the overlooked, in my neighborhood, in my school, in my workplace, even in my own home? And number three, what stands in the way? What are the sins, the idols, and the fears in your own heart that prevent you from connecting your blessings with how God wants to use them out in the world. My prayer is that as you hear me, you'll be forced when you leave this building today to confront those questions, to remember that missions is not for the crazy people in Papua New Guinea. Missions is for you here today. We are sent people of God. And God has a heart for the downtrodden, for the widow, the orphan, the prisoner, the sick, and of course, for the foreigner. We see it throughout scripture. And how does he bless those people? You know, God spoke to Abraham, a passage that many of you know. Genesis 12, verses two and three. God tells Abram, and I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The pattern God lays out throughout scripture is that God blesses his people 
So that what? So that they will hoard those blessings to protect their families, their reputations, their wealth, and their power? No. God blesses his people so that through them, the nations will be blessed. Through them, the broken will be brought to life. That is your role as a sent person of God. And as you ask those questions this morning, how am I blessed? How can I be a blessing? And what stands in the way? I hope you can connect the dots through my own story and how you can have the same role in your own lives. Let's pray. Father, I am a tool in your hands. Please speak through me to bless these people and send them out as missionaries in this city. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Now, I know that I told you we were going to focus on Amarillo, but I did lie a little bit. Uh, Because I do need you to understand a little bit about my background that Doyle mentioned in Papua New Guinea. Because it was a transformative time. Crystal and I spent the first nearly 10 years of our marriage in that island nation just north of Australia. We lived and worked in the South Village, working with the Mamunda people, a previously undescribed language, a group that had no written alphabet, people who were largely untouched from the outside world. And our job, yeah, this picture is us with uh, Chloe uh, in those early years. And our job was to fly in a helicopter to this group, having very little language in common, learn their language using the linguistic skills we had been taught, analyze their grammar and sound system, and then create a written alphabet so that we could teach them to read and write their own language for the very first time. All of these tasks, which sound so foreign to you, are just part of the process of translating the Bible into the world's languages. And that's what we are a part of for those 10 years. Now, there's a lot that I could say about that time. Uh, But today, my focus is on the refugees. I just have two points, two lessons that we learned that I need you to understand so that you can see that we use those lessons in our work here in Amarillo. You know, when Crystal and I landed in that village, we were terrified, as you could imagine. Put yourself in my shoes, right? And as the people welcomed us with a language we didn't understand, and led us to our small bush house, which they built for us. You can see that on the screen, this bamboo bush house. And the people slowly meandered back to their own homes. They left Crystal and I with the door closed, staring at one another in terror. And I'm looking down at my wife's then pregnant belly, and I'm thinking, what have I done? Where are we? I mean, all of the education, the linguistics, the anthropology went right out the window, and I had no clue how to survive. It seemed like every single thing I might have done was fraught with danger, miscommunication. And we hid under our mosquito net, and we cried, and we slept for days on end. (laughs) I didn't know what to do. And the people, they treated us like children, I had all these skills, right? Master's degree in linguistics. Surely I had gifts for these people. And yet the people couldn't see what I was bringing to the table because I couldn't climb up that coconut tree. 
I couldn't take a bow and arrow and shoot a cassowary or a bird of paradise. So to them, in their culture, I was a child. And by the way, as you hear me later talk about refugees, you're going to see the same thing. Don't we do the same thing with immigrants in our city, treating them like our little people? Because they don't know how to fill out a form or go through the drive through window at McDonald's. Uh, we treat them as less than. And let me tell you, many of them have doctrines. Many of them are more intelligent than you and I. The second lesson that we learned was about confidence. Because as we were in fear in our home, we were unwilling to leave our front door. Because what could we do successfully? And you know what happened is that people came to us. This next picture shows two women sitting with Crystal in the front room of our house, teaching her how to cook their vegetables. This was such a godsend for us because they got us laughing. They got us talking. We started to hear them and connect with them and trust them. They became our cultural insiders. These women translated culture for us. They explained to the people the weird things we were doing behind that closed door. And they explained to us why everything they did outside that house looked strange to us. They were our insiders. And slowly what they did is they pulled us with trust and confidence and friendship out of the walls of that home into our neighborhood and into the other houses of that village of Sout, helping us to believe that we could do it, such that by the time I left in 2016, I could hike barefoot through those mountain jungles no problem. But what happened first is that people came into our home. And again, you will see that that is our model with refugees here in Amarillo. We go to them. We don't assume anything. We build trust. We hold their hands and we draw them into flourishing. But in 2016, we ended up in Amarillo, Texas. And you might be asking the question we were asking, what can a linguist do here? For years, I asked that question. I'm still sometimes asking that question, but as I was asking that question, I went to those questions I shared with you earlier, okay? I'm hearing about refugees, and I'm thinking, what really is a refugee? Because I had spent all of my adult life in another country. I didn't really understand the dynamics. But I asked God, what can you do with me? What can you do with me? I knew that my language and culture knowledge could be helpful, but I didn't know how to connect it. I also saw all these problems, so few refugees and personal relationships that were positive with Americans, so few that were saying that they had ever been inside an American's home. I was watching them struggle. What refugees are in leadership positions? Who is out in the community really thriving? And I thought, I have something to say here, but God... What stands in the way is that I'm terrified because I'm an anxious and insecure man who would rather hide away at my desk. I've shied away from every leadership position in my life. I would much rather analyze linguistics. But I also knew, God, how can you use me if I'm hiding? And so in sincerity, I told God, please take away my fear and release me into this place. Please use me. 
I knew that I could be faithful as I waited on an answer to the questions I had. And so I started driving. I started driving around this town trying to figure out who are the refugees. I asking questions at local churches, driving around northeast Amarillo, and one day I happened upon the Somali mosque. And I had never met a Muslim in their own mosque before. Um, so what I did, uh, maybe a bit foolishly, I'm not sure, I opened the door and walked right in, wearing my shoes. Okay, see, some of you know already a lot more than I knew that day. Okay? I walked right past their entry rugs, wearing my shoes, making mistakes. Let me just say, guys, that God doesn't care if we make mistakes. He uses us as we make mistakes. Because the very first man who interrupted me, who intercepted me, took me by the hand and said, Sir, will you please take your shoes off? He has become my closest friend, a man named Salad Duale. When I saw him, I knew, God, this is a person of peace. He's welcoming me even as he instructs me. I said, brother, will you please take me? Can I meet you for coffee? Will you teach me more about your culture and about your religion? I don't know anything. And we met at the Starbucks on Grand and I-40, week after week from that moment, sometimes two or three times a week. And you know what I learned? Salad was a medical doctor back in Somalia. Salad also grew up speaking Italian in addition to Somali, so he knew all about verb conjugations. What are the odds that I would come face-to-face with my first Somali Muslim and that man would be a doctor like me and would understand verb paradigms? Something a linguist was obviously going to ask about. Let this be a reminder that as you step out in boldness, God has already gone before you. And he puts these signposts in your way that bring your faith to life. And that's what happened that those early days as I just thought, how of all people would this be the man that I met? And we built a relationship of exchange over the coming months. I poured into him and his family. As he taught me the Somali language, I tutored his children for the STAR test. I didn't grow up in Texas, so I had never taken a STAR test, but God used me in my weakness anyway. Tutored his children, his nieces, and his nephews, and I tried to make the relationship more personal. I started bringing my firstborn, my daughter Chloe, who would come and read to the little kids while I tutored the older ones, eventually helping them build skills and writing essays for their college entrance exams. I didn't know this is what I would be doing in Amarillo, but this is what God had me doing to build trust with this man. I ended up tutoring Salad through his entire MBA program at WT. And as we would sit and work for just hours at a time, I would help him with every essay, every oral exam, everything. And one day he looked at me and he said, Ryan, why do you give so freely? You, you give, you pour it into my kids, you, you tutor me, I don't pay you. For two years now, you've loved me this way. This is what he said. And that day, two years into our relationship, was the first wide open opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
because he asked me the question. And who am I but to say the reason for the hope that I have? But that, only, that door was only open because I first had the relationship. You know, over, over the coming months and year, I leveraged that trust into whole community impact. One day, uh, Charla Cobb uh, invited us uh, to come speak at Mesa Verde Elementary School. Here's Salad speaking to the teachers about Somali culture. By the way, when I came, Salad had just moved to Amarillo and was not a leader in his community. But God used the trust to enable him to become a leader in our community and in his. Later, we held massive meetings in the Somali mosque where we brought the mayor and the fire department and the chief of police to speak to the people. Incredible things. Eventually, even launching a Somali women's literacy class. This is the model we follow with Refugee Language Project, by the way. Personal relationships and trust. Leveraging for a whole community impact. All the while, just asking God, please send your Holy Spirit to do something that we can't. One day I was on my way home from church at night on Amarillo, excuse me, on Amarillo Boulevard. And I see two women with head coverings standing on the side of the road. And let me just say, I am not that guy. Maybe, you know, Doyle said I'm a guy who loves first. Not when I'm in my car, okay? And I, I, I don't think ever in my life, in fact, that I ever pulled off the road to help someone in need. But in this moment, I felt the Holy Spirit compel me to stop. A hundred yards in front, I pull over and I walk back toward these women. And I, and I think, based on their gait, I think these are Somali women. So I call out, Haban Wanaxen, good evening. I'm here to help. And out of the shadows run Salad's two oldest daughters, Esteho and Ikram. How could that be? of all the people I'd encounter in the night, the one time I stop on the side of the road. They had broken down and didn't know what to do. Their dad wasn't answering his phone. So I had my father-in-law come and help replace the tire. And later, Salad showed up on the scene. He gave me a hug, and he just looked at me with a tilted head. said, brother, how can it be that you are here? Once again, the Holy Spirit, Right? I said in all confidence, brother, God sent me to your family two years ago, and he sent me to them again tonight. I don't know why. What does God want you to hear from me? Man, that must have messed with him that night. Praise God that he used me, even when I didn't want to be used on the side of the road. All right. I want to tell you a little bit about the refugees of Amarillo more broadly, because some of you may want to get involved in what we do. Um, you know, as I researched the broader context, uh, I held a lot of meetings uh, with refugee groups, uh, and I started to learn about the largest groups who had come over the previous five years, uh, from Burma or Myanmar, Afghanistan, especially this last year, by the way, uh, Somalia, Iran, I think I'm missing one. Congo. And so I started seeking out the leaders of those different communities, taking them to lunch, praying for opportunities, visiting their churches and the mosques. 
And we held a series of community dialogues. This picture is a meeting with the Chin people, who are largely Christian from Myanmar here uh, in Amarillo. And I started to learn more about their cultures, their jobs, their struggles. I learned that most of the refugees in Amarillo weren't actually settled here. You might think that that would be the case, but actually they're settled in Maine or Rhode Island or Ohio, and they find their way here as secondary migrants to work in meatpacking plants. Why would you work in a meatpacking plant? Maybe because you spent the last 18 years of your life in a refugee camp and never had the opportunity to have a formal education. So you don't know how to hold a pencil or you don't know how to learn a language. And so you find your way to the one place in the country where you can get paid $22 an hour without any academic uh, credentials. The problem is, when they come to Amarillo, they get locked away in these places and they don't interact with us. Many of these people have learned five or six languages, but then they come here and they fail because we don't know them. Have they been in your home? My guess is probably not. So we met with the Somali community in their own mosque, and we conducted research. And we asked them questions, and the more I learned about them, the more I learned that the problems they were facing were systemic and complex, but they were due to individual failures, individual relationships that they didn't have. One day I listed out all the names of the people from refugee communities that I had met, just listed their names, and then I wrote down their countries, and then I wrote down their ethnic groups and their languages and their religions. And what emerged before me was this complex picture of the refugee network of Amarillo. These are the different groups here in Amarillo today. I know you can't read all those words, but it is an incredible and diverse picture. And what I saw was that in Myanmar, the Karen people weren't asking the same questions as the Dinka from South Sudan. In Afghans, though mostly Muslim, were struggling with different issues than Somali Muslims. And that is what Refugee Language Project has stepped in to address. It is about the individual relationships connected with the broad understanding of the refugee network. Isn't this incredible that this is right here in Amarillo? Our vision is to see individuals from refugee communities in the Amarillo area increasingly flourishing as they confidently interact with the world around them, enabling them to honor God with their lives. We accomplish this by removing language barriers, honoring their cultures, building leaders, engaging with area churches, like I'm doing today, but also with the refugee churches, of which there are 30 or 40 here in Amarillo and also facilitating long-term solutions for the big problems we see. But I want to pause here and explain those three questions I had asked. I asked, what stands in the way? And I talked about my fear. Look, God took all kinds of things out of the way. He provided financially through my church and supporters. He did everything I needed, but he hasn't taken the fear and anxiety away from my heart. I'm still the same Ryan, broken and limited. And every time I confront another room full of 
yelling and screaming refugee children, or I think about my next board meeting, or my budget for next year, and I ask God for the thousandth time for boldness and peace, and he gives me for the thousandth time boldness and peace, then the credit does not fall at my feet anymore, does it? The credit falls at the feet of my Savior, who enables me in my weakness to be a sent man of God. And he blesses me and blesses me so that I will be a blessing. Praise God he's done so. Because the Refugee Language Project has grown from a small ministry of Redeemer Christian Church into a fairly good-sized organization with a staff of eight, with hands and fingers invested in all of the different refugee communities of Amarillo. All because God used an unlikely introvert named Ryan Pennington. Little more about our work specifically. This bullseye should help you understand our strategy. Our goal is to get refugees into the middle. That means we want to take strangers, we want to bring them into our community, build relationships with them, and through those relationships, help them to become leaders who are running ministries, starting businesses. So, uh, earlier this year, we launched a community center called The Place. You might have seen it in the news. It's uh, near the Burger Barrel and Tootin' Totem on Plains. Uh, the place for language, art, culture, and economic growth. And we did that with two other organizations. And in that place, currently, we see over 100 refugees a week drop in for help. To get help with the form, use our free Wi-Fi. And while they're there, we hand them the remote control to the TV and let them drink some tea. And as they're there, and we build community with them, we say, hey, why don't you come Tuesday night to our potluck dinner? Every Tuesday night, we have a program called Table Talk where we eat a meal together. You are welcome to join us. No commitment, just bring a dish and share. Now, a couple weeks ago, we had a music night where Karen people came and sang, and it was a beautiful moment where we shared our cultures. Then we invite them to come to our ESL programs, teach them English week after week, day after day. We have whole group lessons where we learn about their needs and their goals, and then we draw them into smaller groups, leveled groups where we listen. Here's Crystal working with a group on the floor, a group of recently arrived Afghans. Praise God. But through all of these programs, our goal is to get these people into personal relationships. Here Amy is with Grace. Grace is a Ugandan woman in yellow who is a mentee in our program, who is now a mentor. So Grace is a woman who, after really valuing education, is now helping Afghans navigate the acceptance process at Amarillo College. This is all happening outside of my sphere, out in homes. I think I want to tell you a little bit about Samuel. Uh, Samuel is an amazing guy, all right? He is so charismatic. He came as a Rwandan refugee in 2017. When our ministry was just forming, we got him into a mentorship with Adrian. And Adrian would take Samuel and his brothers 
uh, to the movie. They would hang out. They just were buddies. Uh, Adrian wasn't trying to do anything heroic. He was just the friend of Samuel. When the pandemic really began impacting our area's refugees, uh, I called Samuel. I said, brother, would you mind serving as a translator for us, helping Congolese people and Rwandans and people across Africa to understand the medical situation they were in? And he said, yes, absolutely. And he did so well that the news highlighted him about someone impacting their own community, which led to Eastridge Elementary hiring him as a TA. Then earlier this year, I hired him back. Because why wouldn't I? This guy's incredible. Samuel is now our storybook assistant. He is helping to collect the stories of Amarillo's refugees, collect their life stories, and reproduce them as illustrated storybooks in their own languages and in English that help them to process their traumas and to learn to read and write using this side-by-side text. Uh, By the way, on your way out this morning, go by the table and look at one of these books. You're welcome to buy one if you'd like. Help us raise money to purchase or uh, publish the next book. Samuel is actually currently finishing his own story, which will be published as a book early next year. And here's what's incredible about that. Samuel's language has never had a finalized alphabet. You thinking back to my work in Papua New Guinea yet? Again, how could it be except by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that I could work with Samuel now, connecting him with a team of Bible translators in Louisville, Kentucky, who are translating the Bible into Samuel's mother tongue today. So Samuel is getting to use his story to test out the alphabet decisions so that they will have a more accurate Bible translation. Samuel's a leader. It's quite remarkable right here in Amarillo. I hope that some of you will get involved in what we do. You can learn about how to get involved at the table. We've got newsletters. Uh, We've got, you know, other kinds of information. Talk to my beautiful wife. Uh, She'll be able to tell you more than I can. You could serve as a host at our community center. You can attend our potluck dinner. Just be a fly on the wall and just watch the craziness, all right? Just see what's happening in Amarillo. Or maybe one day you want to build a relationship with a refugee like Salad or Samuel, and we will walk with you to help you be successful. But as I close, I just want you to be aware of something. I know what some of you are thinking. This Ryan guy, his story is not ordinary. Okay? I know what it feels like to watch someone who is in Papua New Guinea. Okay? I know what you're thinking like, okay... This is the mission on the other side of the planet. But what I said at the beginning is true. You are sent people of God in your homes, in your schools, in your neighborhoods, in your workplaces. You know, I read a quote recently I wanted to share by Jeannie Marie. She said, sometimes we believe that if we're not ready to move to a jungle somewhere in Papua New Guinea, or since we're not physicians educated to eradicate diseases in Africa, there's not much else we can do to be involved around the world. I spent eight years after university just living life, going to church, working, raising children, scrapbooking, playing volleyball, and planning vacations. Not a bad life, but a life without much spiritual excitement. 
I had absolved myself from any responsibility or privilege to be a light to the nations and even our own community because my husband and I didn't see ourselves living in a tribe somewhere. Proverbs 11 says, when it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices. And when the wicked perish, there are shouts of gladness. By the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted, but by the mouth of the wicked, it is overthrown. God wants to use you to bless this city and through it to bless the nations. So as I walk off the stage, I want you to bow your heads and I want you to think about your own hearts and answer these questions in your own lives. Number one, how am I blessed? Think, how has God equipped me for kingdom impact? What has he given me? Number two, where around me can I use these blessings? An organization, my neighbors, a refugee family, my church? And finally, what areas of my heart aren't completely devoted to Christ? What do I need to give up so God has my whole heart, mind, soul, and strength? Please reflect for a few moments in silence.